Last weekend was the highest grossing the, the highest grossing movie in the box office was well does anybody guess what it, Noah yeah it was the, Noah the movie this is last weekend they don't have the numbers for this weekend yet cuz it's still going but it was 43 million dollars for the weekend is what they brought in and which is not surprising the trailer if you've seen the the you know on TV seen the the previews for it it looks the trailer looks interesting like but like most trailers it was deceiving because they always take the best bits and pieces and put them together to make things look better than they usually are. But I think there are a lot of people who would love to see a good Noah movie. I mean, there's I would love to see a good Noah movie. There, I think there are a lot of churchgoers and people in general who they grew up hearing the story of, of Noah, maybe they read it in the Bible, and would love to see a, a movie that really portrays it well, especially today with our you know computer graphics and things that you can recreate things that you can't do and you know like the back in Cecil B DeMille made the 10 commandments had he probably would have died if he knew the kinds of things that they can do these days with movies but sadly this new version has Russell Crowe stars Noah it's not a good movie it's uh, I haven't actually seen it I, I, myself but it's one of those things where you know you don't actually have to be hit by a car to know it would be bad for you I've I've heard lots I've read lots of reviews I've heard other people talk about it and and the things that are actually in the movie and I from all the reports it's unbiblical it's not only unbiblical it's anti-biblical which is really kind of sad I've I've heard some churches big churches even saying that everybody should go see it you know telling their congregation everybody should go see this new Noah movie because it's um, because it's about Noah and, and it'll get people to talk about the Bible story so you can open up a conversation. But that line of reasoning, in my mind, is about the same as if somebody made a Jesus movie where Jesus was a zombie who ate people's brains and then churches say, let's go, everybody go watch this new Jesus zombie movie because people will be talking about Jesus. But it's, it's, the, it's the kind of thing that, you know, the Noah in the movie and the Noah from real life are are not even close to being the same. The Russell Crowe Noah is a murderous, people-hating maniac. I mean, the way he's portrayed is just a a, a wild person who who hates other people, who hates his own family. He wants to, he wants all people to die, including his family. He wants he tries to kill his own grandchildren in the movie, uh, so that only animals will repopulate the earth because he you know because. He hates all people on behalf of God, and he just wants to wipe out all people so that there will only be animals. And it's uh, I've heard people describe this movie as you know kind of a tree hugging, save the planet sort of thing, which is popular these days. But it sounds more like a let's murder all the people so that no human beings survive to repopulate the earth sort of thing. It's it's just it's really dramatic as like how far it goes. And on top of that, there are rock people who build the ark. Like some sort of beings, you know, fallen angels or something, but they're they're rocks. They're like living giant rocks that build the ark. Instead of Noah building the ark, there's these rock creatures that uh, help Noah build this ark. And there's and of course there's plenty of other plot points that are written into the story that are just they're as ridiculously in conflict with the true biblical account of Noah as rock people building the ark. Things that are just totally made up and have nothing to do with real scripture. And I guess. None of that should really be surprising since the guy who directed the movie, his name is Darren Aronofsky, and he's an atheist. And he promised when he was making the movie, he said, this will be the least biblical 
film ever made. The, the least biblical Bible film ever made. That's, he, that was, he promised that. This Noah that I'm making, it's going to be the least biblical movie that, that ever was. I mean, it's, so it's not surprising that when it came out, all these things that have nothing to do with the real Bible is, is, is what it's like. And after all, that is Satan's favorite tool, isn't it? To take Scripture and to twist it just enough so that people will be fooled into believing that something that looks good and, and seems good is a, really a complete lie. Did God really say this? Did He really say that? And weren't there? I mean, couldn't there be rock people who made the? Couldn't Noah have been this homicidal maniac who wanted to kill his family? Couldn't that really be the truth? Which will, I think, you know, convince people. I mean, that's the the new Noah movie in a nutshell is taking Scripture and twisting it and making it something that it's not. And I, you know, I really don't mind if people use artistic license when they're, you know, I love to see the creativity that people have used. To, to take Bible stories and turn them into you know movies or, or dramas or things like that if and if people use you know like that old Ten Commandments movie the Cecil B I mean there were obviously places where it didn't follow scripture but it didn't completely disrespect the scripture either it didn't change the commandments you know it still followed along with the basic premise and it used some some creative license to so it wasn't completely accurate but but it didn't turn Moses into a homicidal maniac like they do with Noah. Or films like, like Ben-Hur. Sure lots of people have seen Ben-Hur or Barabbas, which are totally made up. They're not in the, you know, Ben-Hur isn't in the Bible. Somebody took you know, a Bible idea and made up a character and, and made a movie, which is fine. They took Barabbas. We don't know much about Barabbas other than he was a criminal that got released instead of Jesus. And somebody took that guy and made a whole movie out of it, which is fun. I think that's, that's fine if people use their, their imaginations to kind of build out these stories. But only when they treat the Bible with respect. You know, if you want to make up things, fine, but don't totally twist it out of context and say this is what the Bible says. There, there are the, the recent History Channel series, the Bible series. I know a lot of people saw that. Not bad. I mean, they're obviously, I watched it and all through the thing, there's times when I say, that's not in the Bible, that's not in the Bible. But for the most part, they respected the Bible story. They respected the general following of, of what the Scripture says. So it didn't completely ignore the original Scripture. And I believe that this the Aronofsky movie, this new Noah, paints this ludicrous picture of Jewish history and what they do. And it, and it and it paints a ludicrous picture of biblical Christianity for sure. It's a, it was $135 million they spent on it to make the movie. And it's a $135 million tool, I think, for promulgating idolatry, for promoting this anti-biblical view. The story turns the earth into God. Instead of a God who created people and loves people, it turns the earth and the animals into the God that that's what we respect. In this movie, the Creator... They never say God. They call Him Creator. They say the Creator wants to destroy all of humanity. Not because they're immoral. Not because they're sinful and, and wretched. And, and, but because they're mining. They're mining the earth. Which is awful. How can you strip mine the earth? You know? they're, they're eating meat. They're, they're hunting. And they're picking flowers. I mean, these kinds of things. That that's what is evil in the movie. So they've got to wipe out humanity because they're mining the earth and they're killing animals and they're you know, destroying vegetation. In fact, the bad guys in the movie all believe in God. 
And, and there's no hint of, of immorality or, or sexual depravity being called sin. You know, all that stuff is, is fine, but when you destroy the earth, that's what's seen as evil. Instead, God's wrath is brought about because people are harming the planet rather than each other. In, in, in the Bible, it's because they're harming God. They're harming one another with sin. And, and, you know, why would God destroy the planet to save the planet? It doesn't make any sense in real life. And, and so the, 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 the Noah in the movie, instead of preaching repentance and calling people back for God, he's actually hoping for humanity to be completely destroyed, including his family. He, he, the way that, that, that way, the, then the Creator and the earth can live together with no people and not be bothered by all those annoying human beings. But the Bible account, the true story of events, is diametrically opposed to what the movie presents. The, the real Noah was a righteous man. He was a good man. That's what the Bible says. And, and he obeyed the Lord. And he took good care of his family on the ark. And when they survived the flood and they were able to return to the earth, God told them to multiply. He wanted people. In fact, Genesis 9 says, it starts out, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons. This is after the flood has subsided. He blessed his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. All the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat any meat that still has its lifeblood in it. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. God respected humanity. He, he created humanity. He, he loved humanity. And so He didn't want people killing each other. And He gave them food to eat. For, you know, you eat fruits and vegetables like I gave you. And now I'm giving you animals too. And he says, if a wild animal kills a person, it must die. If anyone who murders a fellow human being, they must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in His own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. God didn't hate humanity. He hated sin. He still hates sin. The recent movie is basically the opposite of the true Bible story. The real world... In, in the real world, God always wanted an earth full of people. He's all, since He created the world and created the first people and told them the first commandment was to be fruitful and multiply, He's always wanted the world to be full of people. He just wanted the world to be full of good people. He didn't want a world full of sin where people hurt one another and lie to each other and kill each other and steal from each other and take advantage of one another. He wanted good people who treated each other with love. And, and, and after the flood, He gave us animals to eat you know in the beginning i think everybody was veg vegetarian that all the animals and all the people ate plant food and then after the flood he said now i give you everything else now you can eat the animals too and so um god made this covenant with noah after the flood that i'm never going to do that again i will never flood the whole world and destroy everything like i did this way you'll never have to worry about the, a flood destroying the earth and the rainbow, which he made, is the, a sign of that. That was his, The seal of the covenant was the rainbow. It has nothing to do with perverts practicing sexual immorality. The rainbow is a reminder of God's desire to protect humankind, to, to see us flourish and prosper because he wants people to be alive and to live good lives. The Russell Crowe Noah is it's just pagan propaganda, I believe. And, and I think it was 
because it was created by an atheist director, I really, when I think of it, I think it was purposely made to confuse and sway the biblically illiterate. Because a lot of people believe in the Bible, but they've never read it. Which doesn't make any sense to me. If they say they believe it, but they, so there's a lot of people out there walking around who, who don't know the Bible. Maybe they heard the story in Sunday school or glanced it over once by themselves, but they don't study their scriptures. And so when somebody presents a movie like this, they think, wow, Noah was a real crazy man. I mean, Noah's trying to kill his family. And then there's these rock people. I don't remember it in the story, but it must be there because they put it in the movie. They have no idea that some atheist is the guy who made the movie. And what I think, probably on purpose, to confuse people about what the Bible really says. But I, as much damage as he might try to do, I trust in God who can use all things to work together for the good of those who love Him. And, and I don't trust in Hollywood. never have. And I just hope and pray that true Christians will study their Scriptures and will know their Bible so that if the conversation does come up and they're talking to somebody, that, that they can that they will love God enough to spread the real Gospel. That the, to, to preach the real Christ. To show the real picture of salvation painted by a real Noah and a real ark. People who truly trust in the authority of Scripture enough to know it and to share what's real. Because that's, that's humanity's only hope is the real Jesus Christ and the real Bible. There is no other hope for us. Um, Matthew 24 our scripture for today at verse 37 says when the son of man returns it will be like it was in noah's day which ought to stand out for us we know jesus is coming back we know jesus is coming back in judgment and jesus said when the time comes when the son of man returns it's going to be just like in noah's day in those days before the flood before the flood people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up until the time that noah entered his boat People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And this is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. So when Noah was building that ark and and climbing on board and all the animals were in there and he went on board and God shut the door, people were living their lives. They just had normal, everyday stuff that they did. They went to work. They had parties. They got married. they They paid no attention to what might be happening. Or the words that Noah might have been sharing. They, they just figured the world's going to go on forever. I'm going to live and nothing's ever going to change. And then the flood came one day. There, there, and, and the Bible tells us there's another judgment coming upon unrepentant sinners. The world is going to find God's judgment. And only this time it won't be by water. It'll be by fire. And, and we should want as many people as possible to come aboard the ark of Jesus Christ so that they might survive the coming wrath through the grace of God. We should want as many people as possible to find salvation because Jesus Christ is our ark now. And, they, and He's the only way for us to, to have safety. And, and with that in mind, I thought I'd talk about the real Noah. You know, I don't know if you've seen the movie or plan on seeing the movie or whatever, but I want to talk about the real story so that people are armed with the truth so that if you do talk to somebody about it, you know, you know, you know what happens in the movie without having to go see it. But, but you can talk about the truth because people who, if you've ever talked to people like the Secret Service who look for counterfeiters, 
They say the best way to spot a counterfeiter is to know the real thing. You study the real... You don't study all the other counterfeits to see how people are messing up. You study the real dollar or the real hundred or whatever. If you know the truth, then you'll be able to spot the fakes. Where you know. And so if you know the truth of God's Word, then you'll be able to spot the fakes and explain the reality to people. So I thought I'd talk about Noah and, his, and, and how his life experience was a picture of salvation. How the ark is, is a, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ to come. And that's our way of safety. You know, two millennia after the, after the flood subsided, then Jesus came. And it was really, the ark was, was not only a true story, but it was painted a picture of the ultimate salvation to come. Genesis chapter 6 at verse 9 says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. The only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And isn't that crazy? We don't know exactly how many people were alive at the time of Noah. There are guesses, you know, in the hundreds of thousands or even millions or possibly even up to a billion. We, we really don't know. But out of all the people, Noah was the only one who was found righteous. And, and don't worry about his kids because it's, they were, at this time, they were either, you know, tiny, tiny babies or, or they weren't even born yet. So, Noah was hopefully raised holy kids to go on the ark with him, and his wife was a woman, so she wouldn't have she couldn't be a holy man. She'd have to be a holy woman. <laughs> so, so hopefully we're thinking Noah and his family. Um, but it's uh, verse ten says, oh no, verse nine still says he was the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. So he was connected with God. He had, they had a relationship, and says, Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. At this point in his life, it says when, when Noah reached 500 years old, he had his three sons. And so he's 500 years old. He's had plenty of time to gain some wisdom and understanding and to choose his course in life to decide who he's going to serve. And he's chosen to serve God. He was going to walk with the Lord and, and not be like the rest of the world. The whole rest of the world around him wasn't following God. They were living for their own lusts. And God said, I'm going to be for God. I don't care what the rest of the world was doing. And so he stood out. In verse 11 it says, Now God <clears throat> saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. And God observed all this corruption in the world for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out along with the earth. And I, don't, I probably don't need to tell you guys how heartbreaking this must have been for Noah. You know, just a devastating thing to think he created all these people. He created all these people out of love and a desire to have a relationship with every single one of them. And they all turned their backs on him. And they also did hurting. I mean, it was violence as it talks about. So they were hurting each other and killing each other and, and probably raping and, and abusing and who knows what kinds of things that these people were doing. But it was enough that God said he, re, he repented. He, he said, I'm sorry that I ever made these people. He had such good desire to, to, to have a people who were blessed and, and, and in a relationship with him, to love them and to see them love one another. And they all turned bad and they all went against him. And it just must have been heartbreaking. I mean, and you think about the same thing happening today. How many people are doing these same kind of things around the world? And it's just a heartbreaking thing for God to have to say, I can't tolerate it anymore. I can't let it go on. I've got to stop. I've got to put an end to this. 
these were his own beloved creation and, and he wanted to have a holy relationship with them and instead they chose to be God's enemies. Out of all the blessings that he gave, they chose to be his enemies. So God, in his sorrow, regretted making him. But thankfully there was one man he found out of the whole world, he found one man who stood out in his desire to live for God. So God chose to start over. Instead of just killing everybody, he said, I'm going to give him a second chance. And I'm going to start over with Noah and his family. So God said, Noah, go for wood and build me an ark. Something like that. As verse 14 says, build a large boat from gopher wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out then construct the decks and rooms throughout its interior. Make the boat 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Leave a one cubit opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door in the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Now the, the official cubit, you know cubit's a weird thing, it's different in different cultures. It's anywhere from 15 to 25 inches. We don't know exactly how big the cubit that Noah used was, but... A lot of experts assume an 18 that was pretty popular in his region was an 18-inch cubit. If he used 18 inches, the boat would be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 50, 45 feet high, which is a, a massive... It's not a boat, it's a ship. It's a big, huge wooden ship. The larger... The, there were different cubits. The Egyptians, like the pyramid cubit that was made, It was if they used that, it would have been like closer to 25 inches, would have, which would have made the boat 625 feet long, 104 feet wide, and basically a cubit, this is a cubit, from your fingertip to your elbow, that's a cubit. So Noah could have used his own personal cubit. We have no idea what Noah's cubit was. My cubit is um, about 18, no, my cubit is 21 inches, I measured it. So I have a 21 inch cubit. If I built the ark, according to my cubit, it would make it 525 feet long by 88 feet wide by 53 feet high. So it's somewhere in that range, between 450 feet long and 625 feet long, which in any case is a huge, it's a ship, it's a wooden ship. And in, in comparison, the Titanic was 883 feet long. So 883 feet compared to 450 or 625 so the titanic was anywhere from 30 to 50 percent bigger than the ark so it's i mean you you can imagine how big this this ark was it's it's at least one and a half football fields long maybe longer um and and the the titanic could carry three thousand over three thousand people i mean you think about if even if the, the ark was half that you could carry and and the Titanic, on top of that, they had to, the, the, of course, they had their food and the water for everybody. They, they had linens. I mean, countless amount of tablecloths and bed sheets and towels and all that sort of stuff and luggage and other supplies needed for an opulent, comfortable journey across the ocean. Not to mention all the space needed for the the massive steam engines. There was steam engines driven by 29 boilers, 29 coal furnace boilers. They had 159 coal furnaces underneath 29 boilers fueled by 7,000 tons of coal which were stored in the ship and and 250,000 gallons of fresh water just for the boilers. And almost, basically almost half the ship below the decks was engine room compartment. Storage for fuel and engine room. So 
So only half of the Titanic, I mean, from, from halfway up the, the boat to the top, was for the people, which is amazing to think about. That was three, over 3,000 people could fit on half the ship. And, and so, and, and comfortably. I mean, this is for people and supplies and entertainment on a cruise ship. And so in the ark, you've got three decks inside the ark with between 34,000 and 65,000 square feet per deck. And there's 15 to 20 foot ceilings on each deck. And so you've got somewhere between 1.5 and 3.9 million cubic feet of cargo space on the ark. It's a massive ship. I mean, you see the pictures. The ark was nothing like the pictures you see painted on nursery room walls or Sunday school rooms, you know, where you've got a little tiny boat with, with the giraffe's head sticking out and the elephant. And Noah and, and, and Joan of Arc have very little room. They're standing on the roof. And so there, were, there are two of every kind of animal. God brought all the animals. People worry about how Noah found all the, God sent all the animals two by two. And kind that's talked about in the Bible. You know, we have taxonomy where you have kingdom, phylum, you know, class. The kind closely relates probably most closely to the family level of modern taxonomy. So it wasn't like we've got tons of different kinds of dogs today. And, and, and they didn't need to carry every single different kind of species alive today. They just need to carry one dog kind. If you... The, a lot of animals we see now are descendants of, of common ancestors. I'm not talking like Darwinian evolution. I'm talking about like there was a wolf kind and you can see genetically, you can read the DNA and see how all dogs from the, you know, people have bred dogs for all sorts of things, to be hunters, to be sheep herders, to be completely useless like teacup poodles and pugs. I mean, there, there are all sorts of dogs that, that have been bred by people for various attributes. And they all are related. And you can see that genetically in the DNA. You can test them and see how they're all connected back to some sort of probably a wolf-like creature. And, and so Noah really just needed a one pair of dog kind of animal and not all the dogs we see today. So people think about, you know, we've got millions of species, but there's a lot of interrelation in various species that... So they certainly didn't need to carry all the species alive today. A lot of the animals we see, um, you know, like the, <clears throat> some of them are due to people breeding. People have been breeding all sorts of dogs, cats, goldfish. People breed animals um, for certain traits. And then some is a result of animals' geographic location. That's how species are differentiated. It's, it's similar with wild and domestic cats. You know, your house cat is related to the lion. And you can test that genetic test that and see how they're related, and and it's everything from birds, snakes, deer, cattle, all sorts of animals are genetically traceable to a family level, and meaning that in Noah's day there were probably a whole lot less individual species than we're used to seeing today, and that's not due to like things getting better, you know, like Darwinian evolution. This is a loss of DNA. If you've got animals that have in their DNA written the code for long hair, short hair, medium hair, and they all, you know, they spread out from the ark after the ark lands, and, and some of them wind up in colder climates. Well, the ones that grow short hair are going to die out, and the ones that grow medium hair are going to die out, so you've only got the long-haired kind. They've lost genetic information, where you used to have a, a kind that had 
DNA that could grow long, short, and medium hair. Now, because they live in the cold, they can only grow long hair, and the other kinds have died out, which means they've lost genetic information, but they're an individual species that might not necessarily be able to reproduce with the, with the other species. And so that's how you wind up with lots and lots and lots of different kinds of species, because they've all broken off of this original DNA code from their original kind. So, so that's kind of how it works. But, but even if you, if you move to a more conservative estimate of the numbers of animals, you know, move from the family down to the genus, where there's a lot more different kinds of animals, you, there, which was probably more animals that Noah had to deal with, but even if, uh, from a conservative estimate, you've got probably around 16,000 different kinds of birds and land animals that Noah would have had to have on the ark. And that's including dinosaurs. And yes, there were dinosaurs on the ark, unless you don't believe in the Bible, which in which case, why do you care about any of the real facts anyway? But God made land animals on day six. So anything that was alive, dinosaurs, cats, dogs, cows, you know, whatever, was alive and, and Noah brought two of them on the ark. And a lot of the animals, of course, would be tiny. Mice, little lizards, little birds, and some would be big animals like elephants and giraffes and, and the brontosaurus sort of things. Though it would be very easy for God to send juvenile versions of all the animals. You know, a, a two-year-old elephant is much smaller than a full-grown elephant. And that's a, the same with all animals. You know, even the, the biggest dinosaurs in the world came from eggs that were this big. So for them to wait for a couple of years until they're good, healthy, young things would not only be smart for taking up less space on the ark, but for when it's time to reproduce, you live longer, you're able to have more kids if you start out as a juvenile animal. And so um, even if you had to fit 16,000 critters, and I think it was probably less than that, but if you had to fit 16,000 of these animals in a typical farm or laboratory-like enclosure, you know, the kind of size that you would give those animals, it would still take up less than half of the deck space on the ark. With all the cargo space they've got in the ark, all the animals that Noah would have had to fit in there on a conservative estimate would have taken up less than half of the, of the floor space. And that's not stacking cages. You can stack cages for little creatures or birds or whatever. Or you can build community enclosures, you know, you can put a lot of different kinds of birds in one room. You can put different kinds of cattle in one room, that kind of, so he could, there are different ways that Noah could have saved space, but even if they all had their own enclosure on the floor, it's still less than half of the deck space need, that, that was on the ark. And, and so, they, there, there was plenty of room on the ark. It would take about 10% of the ship's volume for food, to store all the food for the people and the animals would take about 10%. If they took drinking water, which we don't know if they needed drinking water because the oceans, since they burst forward out of the springs of the, of the earth, was probably fresh water, mostly fresh water. And over the years, you can measure salinity in the, in the ocean. It keeps getting more and more salty over the years. So if you measure backwards, about the time of Noah's flood, it was pretty fresh. So they could have just drank fresh water in the ocean. But even if they took fresh water on the ship that would have been just under 10% need for, for storage space, for water, for all the people and animals. And so with, with all the animal cages and the food and the water, there's still one-third of the ship left empty. I mean, that's how much space was on the ark. They could have had 
seven college-sized basketball courts, as well as all the animals and, and food and everything else. It's amazing how much room they had to spread out. So if Noah and, and Joan and all the kids wanted to play shuffleboard or volleyball or whatever they wanted to do on the ship while they were waiting for the flood to subside, they wanted to climb out on the roof to get a tan. I, I doubt that that's what they were doing. But there was plenty of space for whatever needed to be done on the ark. And and the ark isn't like the ships that we're used to seeing. It was more like a barge. You know, it didn't need to have engines or sails or or steering or, or propulsion. It didn't need any of that. The whole planet was water. They could literally float anywhere they wanted to go. They didn't need to go anywhere. They just floated along wherever the tides and the wind took them. So it was basically a glorified floating box, which is why it's called an ark. That's what an ark is. It's just a storage container. In other words, you know, in a, there's a, a recent debate between Ken Ham and Bill Nye, the science guy. And Bill Nye says a wooden ship like that just wouldn't work. And he compared the Wyoming, which was a schooner, a, you know, a, like five-masted sailing ship. But you put masts on a wooden boat and the wind is pulling and twisting and it basically it twisted itself enough that water came in through the cracks and it sank and everybody died. But you don't need masts on an ark. You don't need an engine. It's just a box. It's just a well-built box floating on the, on the boat. So the ark had no need for sleek design, for speed, it didn't need a keel, it didn't need a, 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 a mast or sails, it didn't need a rudder. You know, having a ship's wheel on the ark would be as useful as having a, 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 as, as the Obamacare website. I mean, it's just not necessary. It's just you sit in a box and you float. So verse 17 in that same chapter says, Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on the earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife, and your sons and their wives, and bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground, they will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all the animals. Now God could have made His own ark. Couldn't He? He made the universe. So God could have just said, here's an ark, here's the animals, float away. But instead, he chose to use Noah, which I think was a character-building opportunity. Noah spent at least 100 years planning and gathering materials and building and stocking the ark. During that time, he, taught, he raised his kids and he taught them the righteousness of God. He taught them the same work that he was doing. They probably spent their whole lives building this ark and helping their father doing what he was doing and they probably you know i'm no doubt that people came by in droves wondering what in the world noah was doing and he said i'm building an ark because god is going to destroy the world because you people are evil you need to turn from your sins and repent this is the only way of salvation if you want to find safety you've got to help us out come join us on the ark and nobody took him up on the offer and noah's sons are probably doing that along with him and and all that time you know he's He's teaching his sons. He's, uh, they are helping him with the ark. There's probably, I wouldn't be surprised if there were thousands of people that came and saw what he was doing. You know, they told each other, "You got to come see what this guy is building." He says the whole world is going to flood. He's building a huge ship in the middle of the land. It's a crazy person, and they'd come to visit this crazy person, and he'd say, "You guys have got to turn from your sin. Join us on the ark. Love the Lord." And and, and Noah, you know, they mocked him because of his faithfulness. And they ignored him because he was just doing what God told him to do. And he probably did his best to tell them the truth and convince them and, and get them to turn and find salvation. And the people, the, the sinful people of Noah's day probably treated him with the exact same kind of contempt that you see 
the world treat Christians today. They look at us as crazy people. You believe in some imaginary God who's going to come judge the world. Sure. We're going to go on with our parties and our weddings and our drinking and our whatever. And, and, they, and they saw Noah as an unreasonable fanatic. But ultimately, Noah didn't care about what anybody else thought. He cared about what God thought because that's all that really matters because God is the one who controls whether the world floods or not. And in verse 22 says, So Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. God, you say it, I'll do it. You tell me what you want, and that's what I'm going to do. You tell me where to go, and that's where I'm going to go. You tell me what to say, and that's exactly what I'm going to say. That was Noah. And you know what? There is nothing better that could be written about anybody than that one simple description that God did that Noah did everything exactly as God commanded. If that is the description, if that's your obituary, count yourself blessed. The, you know, but what makes this story even better is not just the telling of Noah's faithfulness, which is good, but how his example and the salvation made possible by the ark ultimately points to Jesus. And, and there are a number of indirect con- connections that you can make between the ark and, and salvation. Um, God told Noah to build the ark with many rooms. And Jesus told His disciples, in my Father's house there are many rooms and I go there to prepare a place for you so that I can come and get you and you can be where I am. And, and God told Noah to put windows around the top of the ark. And, and then He said in Malachi, bring your tithes to the storehouse and there will, so that there will be enough in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven to you and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Which not only shows that God prefers windows over Mac, but it, it, it's also just an interesting view when you think about the ark. You know, there's just, just you know, not direct connections with you know, rooms in heaven and rooms in the ark or windows. But there's, you know, it's interesting to see how this language connects. And of course, there is a door in the ark. There's one door that God told Noah to build. And so there's only one way in and one way out of this way of salvation. And God is the one who opens and closes that door. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the door for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the door. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and they will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And that's another, it's an indirect connection. But even if you don't pay attention to those indirect links, the very purpose of the ark was to make a way of salvation. A a safe place for the coming judgment for those who put their faith and trust in the Lord to find safety on the ark. Sadly, only Noah's family, family followed Noah's example. So it was just Noah's family who was on the ark. So only Noah's house was allowed in the ark. In the same way, um, Hebrews 3.6 says, Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house. And we are God's house. If we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ, and, and, and once everybody was safely on the ark, the Lord Himself shut the door. And, and Hebrews goes on to say, Jesus said, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. And that's from Luke 13. But 
It's that same kind of picture. And, and everyone who refused to turn from their sins met with terrible judgment. I mean, I hate to think what it was like on the day that they were marrying and giving in marriage and having their parties and living their lives and the flood came. I hate to think what that must have been like. How scary and terrifying and, and deadly, obviously. But Genesis seven seventeen says, For 40 days... The floodwaters grew deeper and deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. And as the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated to safely, safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. All the living things on earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. And everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth. People, livestock, small animals, the birds of the sky, all were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him on the boat. Which is just a sad... I mean, it's, I'm glad that Noah was righteous because we're alive because of his righteousness. But it's just so sad to think that nobody else would go in the ark. That the world had gone so bad that God felt like he had to wipe everything out and start over again. It's just such a sad thought. And, the, and what's even scarier is that judgment is coming once again for those who love their sin rather than God. And Zephaniah starts off. It says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. I will sweep away people and animals alike. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea. I will reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble and I will wipe humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. That terrible day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes, a day of bitter tears, a day when even strong men will cry out. And it will be a day when the Lord's anger is poured out, a day of terrible distress and anguish, a day of ruin and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet calls and battle cries. Down go the walled cities and the strongest battlements. And then... Uh, verse 17, because you have sinned against the Lord, I will make you grope around like the blind. Your blood will be poured into the dust and your bodies will lie rotting on the ground. Your silver and gold will not save you on that day of the, of the Lord's anger. For the whole land will be devoured by fire, by the fire of His jealousy. He will make a terrifying end of all the people on the earth. God promised to never again flood the world. But the second judgment will be a cleansing by fire. And, and it's a frightening thing to think about what will ultimately happen to those who show their contempt of God and their unrepentant sin. And, and which is why it's so vital for us to keep spreading the Gospel. To keep preaching and warning people and say, you've got to turn from your sins. You've got to turn to God because He's the only way. Jesus is the only way of salvation out of your sinful life. And, 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 and even so, Jesus He warned that there will be people as much work as we do, he said that there's going to be people who don't pay any attention. They'll pay as much attention to you as they paid to Noah. And, and, and right up to the last day, people are going to live life as, as, as if they were going to live forever. And then day, one day, out of the blue, it's going to end. That's what happened to Noah. One day, out of the blue, it began to rain. And all the massive subterranean water fields exploded from the ground. And the whole world was flooded. And it's absolute global catastrophe. Job 38 says, he's telling Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid 
its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and, and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I closed it with, clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in a thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far or no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. So God designed the world and said, you know, this is where the oceans go and they're never going to pass this boundary. There's, there's always been a lot of water on the world. There's still a lot of water, water under the ground. That's where we get most of our drinking water is from under the ground. And before the flood, there was a whole lot more. And it burst out of the ground and it ripped seams in the ocean like a baseball tearing its seam. If you look at, you know, a globe or, or a big map, you can see the cracks in the, in the middle of the oceans where the continents were ripped apart and the water came out. It's, and, and the mountains eventually Psalms tell us the mountains rose up and the valleys sank down and the water went back into a, a stable place in the oceans. But God is the one who holds that. God is the one who keeps the world from flooding today. The world could still flood. God could totally shift all the continents and you know Mount Everest is a lot higher now than it was back then, but God could knock it all down and flood the whole planet again. But God's the one who holds it in place. And, and, you know, and if you've seen those videos of the tsunamis that we've seen around the world, where there's waves just come in and they wipe out the whole, I mean, they wipe out towns for miles. They kill thousands of people. And, and, and it was just so much worse in Noah's day. In verse 11 in, of, uh, of that last chapter in Noah, uh, of Genesis, it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life. So he's 500, he had his kids, spent 100 years on this ark project. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the day that all the, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep first opened, the floodgates of heavens were opened, and the rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And we're promised that when the second judgment comes, it's going to be fire, and the world is going to be cleansed by fire. And the day that Jesus comes back, when that happens, it's going to be as unexpected by the world as the day of Noah. Those who are safe in the grace of God, through the, through the salvation of Jesus are going to be prepared, but but we can use Noah, the real Noah and the real Ark, as a tool to preach that God hates sin because it's destructive and it's violence and it, and it hurts people, and and God will bring the full force of His justice against the wicked. If people refuse to repent, God is going to judge them, and God provides a means of salvation to everybody, anybody who is willing to turn from their sins and put their trust in God, will find salvation. And God patient. I mean, He's given us so much time. That's why He said He hasn't come back yet, because He's given people time to turn to Him and find safety in His grace and His merciful provision. God protects and saves everybody who puts their faith in Him. And He's asking anybody, everybody, please turn to Me and live. And people are just going to keep going about their business until the day of God's wrath. So it's imperative that we reach out to everybody we can so that those who are willing to turn will turn. So that we reach out and we use Noah's story and, and, and so that people can find grace and find salvation so when God's judgment comes that second time, they can be saved on the ark of Jesus. So I, I, I pray that you'll make use of this opportunity because who knows how long it'll be that you'll go out and, and, and spread God's Word. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful that You give us a way of salvation, that in spite of how we've lived, in spite of the fact that we haven't been like Noah, that we haven't been righteous in so many ways, that we've turned our backs on You, 
and you still died to save us. And you still gave your life so that we could be set free and that our lives could be turned into lives like Noah, that we could learn like his sons learned and like his family learned to follow after you and to do what you tell us to do and to live for you and to love you and have a good relationship and a blessed life because we love you. God, help us to understand that and help us to see the value in it and how imperative it is that we take that message to the rest of the world. God, help us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.